Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on How, Discovering God's Heart for His People. There's three uh, foundational truths that when you study the scripture, uh, it reveals to us about God. And I want you to think about this as we get into this trust God uh, conversation. The first thought I would share would be this. The Bible reveals and declares that God is completely sovereign. It's a theological term, but the word sovereign means that God has all power, all authority, and he's in full control. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're saying that God has complete sovereign reign and rule over the world. It's a premise statement. That's part of our belief. Another statement would be this. God is infinite in his wisdom, which means God is all-knowing. So the wisdom of God transcends any man. And so when we sit here and contemplate that, uh, we believe that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. God transcends humanity. Here would be a third observation. God is perfect in love which means God is relentless in regards to his compassion toward humanity that he has made in his image. I would say it this way. God in his love, he always wills what is best for us. God always wills what is best for you every day. God's will is best for you in his love. He demonstrates that. God in his wisdom, he always knows what is best and God in his sovereignty has the power to accomplish it all. The simple conclusion I would make, and the simple conclusion that I made years ago, is that God truly is for me, and God is withholding nothing from me. So I would encourage you to contemplate that as you walk in here today. I want you to really believe in your heart God is for you. His love, his sovereignty, his wisdom. He wants the best. He wills the best. He pursues you, and he wants you to trust him. So in the conclusion that God holds nothing back, God is for me, I conclude I can trust this God. I can trust this God. God made us in his image. He was kind enough to redeem us through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. He was kind enough to pour out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost to say, I want my power, presence, and perspective to exist within you. We can trust God. Now, authentic faith will lead to trust. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. I want to break down faith just for a second. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6 of Hebrews says, by, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when you start to hear the word faith, and just hear me for a second, if you hang around church or Christian circles or even uh, God-centered fellowship, if you will, you'll hear words like faith and trust and believe, etc. But what is a pure working definition of faith? 
The purest definition of faith, it has two aspects to it. Write it down. It, it is intellectual acceptance, and then it is trust. Faith is intellectual acceptance and trust. Intellectually, what you're saying is, I believe something to be true based on fact. I believe it to be true based on fact, not assumption, not opinion, not perception. But when I say I have faith, what I'm saying is intellectually, I accept this based on fact. Okay, that's crucial. And then trust is when you're actually relying on the fact by taking action. Okay, so here is an illustration for you. So it would be easy to say, it would be easy to say that that chair has been designed, and that chair is capable of supporting me. Now, when you walked in here today, across this room, every guy, every gal, every person, intellectually, you made an assumption that that chair that you're sitting in has been designed, and it's capable of supporting you. Now, you don't know the manufacturer. You don't know what type of aluminum or metals or fabrics or anything that this chair is made out of. But when you saw that, subconsciously, you made this intellectual acceptance. That chair is designed, and it's capable of supporting me. That was intellectual. When you sat down in the chair, what you said is, I trust that this chair is capable of doing what I have concluded intellectually it's able to do. Faith is the intellectual acceptance coupled with trust, which implies action. It is impossible to say that I have faith in God and I have no action. It's impossible to believe that. Faith means to be firmly persuaded. It means to believe in, it means to have conviction. And conviction is never based on assumption. Conviction is based on fact. C.S. Lewis, that great apologist and writer, years ago said, I personally believe in God like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see it, but because I can see everything by it. That's like that, that's impressive because here would be the reason. I was talking to Hannah, my daughter, this week, and I, I said, listen to this quote, and I shared it with her. And I said, Can you see the sun? She goes, Yes. And I said, You can't. The sun is 93 million miles away, and the naked eye cannot see it. What you see is the effects of the sun. See, we worship. And we have faith in an invisible God who has made known his attributes and glory that we see. Do you see God? I see the works of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Can you see the sun, Tim? No, but I see the effects of the sun, and I see everything by the sun. And my faith is based on S-U-N and S-O-N that I walk in the light based on the S-O-N in faith, and I'll walk in the light based on the S-U-N, the sun. It's interesting. I've had people tell me over the years that, well, the Christian faith, man, it's just a, 
It's a leap into the dark. It's not. The Christian faith is a step into the light. It's not a leap into the dark. It's not blind. It's not ignorant. Based on the purest working definition of faith, faith is intellectual acceptance based on fact. It's based on fact. So, years ago when I first came to faith in Christ, I had a guy share with me that facts, using a little train model, you've got the engine, boxcar, and caboose, he said facts drive your faith, which determine your feelings. The fact is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form, and God said, let there be light. God spoke the world into existence. So by fact, I'm here today because of God's creation. My faith is placed in the intellectual acceptance of fact, which has led me to be where I'm at today in my walk with Christ over 34 years. It's not a leap into the dark. It is a step into the light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me should never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life by faith, the intellectual acceptance of that fact I stepped into it. Here's the problem in our culture. You cannot swap the boxcars back to the train and make it work. There's a lot of people that try to swap the boxcars, and it does not work. Facts drive faith that lead to feelings. We live in a culture where feelings drive people's realities. We live in a culture, Dave, where so many people are driven by emotion and subjective-style reasoning and feelings, and that's what drives their reality. Well, I just don't feel. Hold on. When did you start empowering feelings as being the master of how you do life? I have to empower fact and truth of driving the way I do life. Make sense? Come on. Feelings create perception. Perception, again, is subjective. Belief based on feelings will always cause a distorted reality. Ravi Zacharias, the great Christian apologist, said, truth is that which corresponds to reality. Perception will mislead you, mistreat you, and hinder you greatly in your journey. Now, the truth is, facts can drive healthy, dependable faith. Feelings that are based on truth can lead to joy and peace. But feelings that are just driven by perception will mistreat you and mislead you and destroy you. Faith Intellectual acceptance coupled with trust. Here's a working definition of trust. The word trust in its purest definition is secure confidence in someone or something's ability, strength, or integrity. So when I say I have trust in, an, in a person, what I'm saying is this someone, based on the integrity, based on their ability and strength that I've seen for a period of time, I, I can tell you I've got secure confidence in them. 
29 years in marriage, I can say, I trust Barb. I, I, I trust her. I was talking to your mom and dad earlier and Chad and Elaine and seeing them. All these years of marriage, and I, I watch them together, and I'm like, they trust each other. So what we're saying is there's secure confidence that they have in the character, integrity, strength, and the ability of the other person to say, I trust you. Now, trust, don't, don't miss this one, implies a couple things as well. The object must be worthy of your confidence. So if I say that I'm going to sit in that chair, I'm looking at the object, and it must be worthy of me placing my confidence in it. In the faith, I'm looking at the object being Jesus Christ, and I go, is Jesus worthy of me placing my confidence and trust and faith and reliance in him? Okay? That's the object. Now, the second thing is you must be willing to rely on the object. Am I willing to rely on it? Relying in Jesus, here's the contradiction. Here's the contradiction. Nick, there's a lot of people that will say, well, I got faith in God. But there's no trust, action, and obedience. It's a contradiction. Pure faith leads to trust, which is an action word, which leads to obeying and relying and pressing in and believing him. Trust me, God says. Just trust me. All right, so I would say it this way in a relationship. Now think about this, back to the relational aspect. Hear it loud and clear. If you're in a relationship and you're like, all right, this one's trustworthy. This one's got trust equity in it. Here's what it would imply. It involves safety and comfort with the other person that you're exchanging life with. There's got to be safety and there's got to be comfort. That implies that trust is established over a period of time. Trust is developed over a period of time. Trust is not quickly given. I can love you when I see you, but if I'm going to trust you, we've got to have shared time, which implies there's got to be transparency, openness, dependability. A person has to be reliable. You're like, do you trust this person? Are they reliable? Are they dependable? Has there been consistency in their character? So when you stop and think, going, hold on, because it is so crucial for a relationship to thrive. Without trust, you will not flourish, and you've got to stop and go, okay, am I a trustworthy person? Would I invite others into a relationship with me, John, where they would say, I trust him? All right, think about this, relationships. All right, how many of you guys and gals in this room served our country in the military as we pause to celebrate this Veteran Days weekend. How, how many of y'all? I want you to stand, Dano. All you across the board. Come on, Kenneth, stand up. All you guys who have served, gals, give them a hand. I want you to stay standing for a second. Good for y'all. Thank you. You can stay. Now, now here, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here, here, here's the deal. So when you went through basics, and if you were deployed to go anywhere to serve this country, you wanted to know 
that the person next to you in the foxhole was reliable, was dependable, was trustworthy, was safe, and you had to know that there's comfort that we're in this thing together before it would work. See, we, you can have a seat, thank you guys, we are in war every day spiritually. And the only way the body of Christ will ever flourish is you've got to believe that that person right there and that person right there, and the per- we're in this thing together. It's, it's safe. It's reliable. It's dependable. It's trustworthy. You're not going to get stabbed in the back. And you have to conclude that on the horizontal. But you've got to get to the place where you conclude that on the vertical. Faith... Just hear me out. Faith, Jesse, is a gift from God. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of works. No man can boast about it. So I have faith. It is a gift from God. God's given me the gift to have faith in him. Trust is my choice to obey God. Trust is my gift back to God saying, yes, Thank you for the gift. Because when I violate the gift, what I'm saying is I would rather be self-reliant, self-dependent, and trust me. When I do that, I have not become a recipient of the faith. Psalm chapter 20, verse I memorized years ago when I was going through the experience in God's study. But it says this, some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and horses. What are the chariots and horses today? Your skill, your power, your resume, your credentials, what you bring to the dance. See, the world wants us to believe that our influence is codependent upon us leveraging what we bring to the dance. You see, the only influence we'll ever have that will really truly count for the kingdom of God is realizing I brought nothing into the world and anything good that I have has come from you, God. I've got to trust in you. I don't want to trust in me. I don't want to trust in my resources. I don't want to trust what I've got. I want to trust you. Trust is our response and obedience back to him. That's the reason he said in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight, which implies You will make a crooked mistake of your life when you try to drive it by yourself. So now now personalize it. In this room, it's just you and God. Honestly, it is. There may be people to your right and left and front and back. But the truth is, it's just you sitting before God. And you've got to ask, what is my trust in? What is my trust in? And I promise you, when you hang with a person over a period of time, it's going to manifest what their trust is truly in. So you have to say, is my trust really in 
the Lord, or is my trust really in self, in chariots, in horses? A person who trusts in self, listen, just listen, they're proud of their accomplishments, they're constantly parading around what they've done, where they did it, how they did it, trusting self. A person who is trusting self, you will depend on your abilities to succeed in life. That's all you've got working for you. You can go to church. You, you can jump through a few hoops here and there. But deep down inside, when you lay your head on the pillow, if you're trusting your ability, abilities to, to really bring about success and accomplishment, it's not going to work long term. Another thing I've seen with people that are self-centered is you need constant affirmation. The craziest thing for me is a person who's trusting self, they constantly need other people to applaud them. So even in the midst of thinking you're trusting yourself and your accomplishments, you're not because you're codependent upon applause. And if you're motivated by praise, you'll always be deflated by criticism, and it absolutely annihilates. And my heart breaks because God says, I want you to have faith. I'm going to give you this gift, but I want you to trust me. I want you to press into me and believe me. Oh, believe is a whole different word. Pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S in the Greek. That word means to be persuaded to action. Oh, I believed him. Then where is the action? It will lead us, persuade us, convict us, motivate us, stimulate us. It's going to agitate us to action. Now, this is a crucial message because so many people in the Bible bed have walked aisles and prayed prayers, but there's no manifestation of trust. And faith and trust and belief cannot be dissected. Another manifestation is, man, your identity hinges on being accepted. Your worldview, your worldview excludes God from being in the center. I'm telling you, God is not the center driving your personal life, your family life, your private life, your financial life, your work life, your thought life. Your... It's not there. And we get exposed. But it's, so, it's good to get exposed. It's good to get busted. Because it's like, all right, I've got to have this rearranging of my private world, Sean. Something's got to change. And it's good to get exposed. Because God is saying, I love you. I made you in Ian, trust me, just trust me. I know what's best. In my wisdom, in my sovereignty, in my love, I know what's best. A God-centered person, they're depending on God's power and God's provision. Lord, unless you provide this, it's not going to work. I don't want to manipulate. I, I don't want to do anything that would hinder. So even in messages, I don't want to do anything to try to emotionally manipulate you. I want the Holy Spirit to have so much freedom to just visit with you and convict you to say, I love you. I want you to know that you can trust me. Even the Puritans of old, Rick, they would read their sermons monologue because they didn't want to jack with anybody's emotion. Just, just respond to God. Just respond to God. A, a, a God-centered You'll see this person, their lives, their life is kind of uh, centered around godly activity. I mean, prayer, fellowship, loving, serving, giving, that manifest, right? Uh, a person who's got a God-centered worldview and perspective, they walk with holiness and they walk with humility. You just watch. Where's the holiness? Where's the humility? Where's the purity of God? 
They're constantly daily in the word of God. They're serving, they're giving, man, they're just fully alive. They're, they're kingdom players, and it's like, that's what we want. Dallas Willard, who many of us read here, is a very, very, very respected mind. Dallas Willard was a strong evangelical. He passed away a few years ago. But Dallas Willard refused to go to a, a Christian college and teach. He stayed at the University of Southern California. He wanted to be a prof there, and he wanted to engage with a lot of polytheistic worldviews. And he wanted to share the good news of the gospel there, Rick. Listen to what he said. He said, we live in the kingdom of God. You, just hear it, just hear it. We live in the kingdom of God by intending to obey the example and teaching of Jesus. No one can actually believe the truth about him without intending to obey him. It is a mental impossibility. The idea that you can trust Christ for the hereafter, but you have no intention to, to obey him now, it is an illusion generated by an unbelieving Christian culture. How will they know that you belong to him? You're trusting. You're pressing in. It's word time. It's prayer time. Prayer drives what you're doing. Now, the areas that most of us struggle, and next week I want to talk about how to deal with worry, but the areas that most of us struggle and the number one cause of worry, stress, and anxiety in our culture is financial and money-related issues. People get swamped. We obtain lifestyle that we can't maintain. Storms come, so the tsunamis hit, and before you know it, we've got so much debt, and we're functioning in paralysis, and God is going, stop, stop empowering that, and trust me. Trust my principles. Trust my ways. Another major stressor is relationships. Relationships get sideways. We get all concerned over our health and different things. So when you start to look at it, there's stressors. And, and, and for a lot of people, we're not trusting God. We're empowering problems and the pressures in our life. For a lot of us sitting here right now, God is saying, trust me, but I've got this bitterness and unforgiveness pinned up down inside my soul, and I'm not willing to release it because of the violation of betrayal that happened. God, it's like, you're not going to move forward. You can't heal. A lot of us are sitting here right now, and we struggle with so much shame and guilt based on the narrative of the way we live life in the past, and we're like, man, I just can't let it go, and it's killing us. And God's like, would you trust me with that? Even the song, hey, bring your failures, bring your addictions, bring your problems, lay them at the foot of the cross. Please trust me. Now, one of the passages that absolutely was just pivotal and monumental in my journey about six months into my faith uh, with Christ was Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, three through seven or eight. And I had a buddy said, hey, just, just memorize this one. I'm like, okay. But this passage was so monumental. And it says, trust in the Lord and do good and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust him. I promise you he's going to do it. And then he goes on to say, rest in the Lord. And then he says, don't, don't, don't fret. All right. This was fundamental, foundational, crucial in my journey. Come on, come on, in regards to trusting God. So for me personally, I know, and you will know this as well, 
I know that I am trusting God. I'm really trusting the Lord, meaning he is the object that I am relying on. And there's action of pressing in that he really has become the center. I know that I am trusting the Lord and I am doing good in God's eyes, meaning the good things of God. And I'm starting to cultivate a life of faithfulness when, one, I delight in the Lord. He goes, delight in the Lord. De delight. Allow the joy of the Lord to be central in your life. You don't want the joy of the Lord peripheral where you just kind of visit it every couple of weeks. You want it there daily. David was on the run. Saul was trying to kill him. The Lord had blessed Saul, had anointed him as the first king of Israel. Saul had jacked it up, manipulated. He, he, he compromised with the Lord. And he even told Saul, do you not realize that partial obedience is like witchcraft? Let that one sink in for a second. When God asks us to do something and we don't obey him, he says, do you not realize that partially obeying the God of all creation is like witchcraft? And so God takes his hand off of Saul's life. And he anoints David, and David is walking in the fullness of the Lord. And as a result, Saul is trying to kill David, and he's throwing spears at him and everything he can do to kill him. And David kept maneuvering. And you know what David's attitude was? I will delight in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. The pressures are crazy. The problems are intense. This dude's trying to take me out and kill me. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. God is my refuge and strength. And, and some of us come in here today and we're limping. Life's been hard. And you feel like your ex is trying to take you out. Oh, man, they left me. Ran off with somebody else. And it hurts. And they're trying to take you to the cleaners with your finances and with your house and with all the stuff. And David would say, delight in the Lord. Please remember God is for you. God is in you. God is faithful. Delight in the Lord. And I, I, I just think so many of us, we empower our circumstances. We empower our pain. We empower our rejection. And God goes, stop. This stuff lives at my house, okay? It lives at my house. It's hard sometimes. It's really hard. We've all got stuff that we're working through. But my little Hannah, she's one of my favorite people on the planet. But the enemy tries to attack her little mind. She's 17 years old. She's beautiful. But the enemy has been coming against her. Now, every 24 days, her one day, a 24-hour period of time, is spent with a shake vest in the morning and at night doing breathing treatments because of cystic fibrosis. Caleb. When Hannah gets knocked down a little bit, Hannah and Caleb both do it morning and night. But when she gets knocked down, sometimes she's doing it three and four times a day. So two hours of her day, eight, 12, four, and eight, trying to clean her lungs out. And just the enemy has a chance to just come in and rope a dope. And I'm like, okay, I understand you're getting attacked. But I said, baby, here's what I want you to do. Listen, listen, listen. this applies to you. I said, Hannah, I want you to take Philippians chapter four. 
And I want you to take verses 4 through 9. And I want you to write it out as your personal response to the Lord. And I, Just write it out. Where you say, Hannah Cash will rejoice in the Lord. And Hannah Cash is going to rejoice in the Lord always. And Hannah's going to let her gentle spirit and forbearing spirit be made known to the Lord. Hannah's not going to be anxious and worry and stress out about anything, but Hannah, through prayer, is going to make everything known to the Lord. And Hannah's going to think about things that are pure and right and holy and excellent and praiseworthy. I said, hey, baby girl, can you do that? She said, yes, I want to do that. Because we've got to recalibrate in the midst of just getting knocked down, fatigued, sick, Let's find something to give thanks about. Let's delight in the Lord. So this is true. So I said, all right, let's just try to memorize as much word as we can. This is where I'm living. I don't know where you're at. This is where I'm living. I said, Hannah, uh, starting in January, January 5th, we're going to take our entire church body through the gospel of John. How about that? We're going to go through John chapter 1, then 2. We're going, to, we're going to take chapter a week. We're going to go through the gospel of John, and we're going to break down God's word and, and build up our people. And I told her on Monday, I said, will not you start memorizing John chapter 1? She comes in after her breathing treatment on Tuesday night and quoted me the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. Jesse had memorized some. Jesse quoted one. She quoted two, three. I'm watching this ping pong thing. Here's the point. Life's tough. Some days suck royally. Am I going to choose to delight myself in the Lord? Am I going to rejoice in the Lord? Yes. David says, hey. You want it to work? You want to know that you're trusting the Lord and you're doing good and you're cultivating faithfulness? You'll delight in him. Second, you'll dedicate all things to him. He goes, commit your ways to the Lord. Hey, you want to know when you're really trusting God and you're cultivating faithfulness and it's like, Dan, you're walking in that which is good? It's when you're dedicating all things to him. The word commit in the Hebrew means to roll over. And it doesn't mean to lay down on the floor and roll over like you're a dead dog. It means when the pressures and the problems and all the turmoil comes your way, you just roll it over to the Lord. Lord, this is hard today. This is wearing me down today. He goes, I want you to commit to me. I want you to dedicate all things to me. I just want you to roll it over. And you and I both know it's when we try to pick it up and we try to carry it and we try to lug it that chaos, confusion, pain, and exhaustion sets in. And God is saying, you want to know when you're trusting the Lord and you're cultivating faithfulness? When you're able to roll it over. And then he says, rest in the Lord. Ah. Oh. Rest in the Lord. 
which literally in the Hebrew means, shh, be still, be silent. Wait, 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 shh, be still, be silent. And I can promise you from experience, hey, shh, 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 don't fret, which means don't start boiling, don't, don't get all blazed up and hot over that. Sit. Rest. When I'm resting before the Lord, it implies I'm doing three things. I'm watching, meaning I'm looking at the moral will of God that is found in the Word of God, and I'm combing through the Word of God, the revelation, the written Word of God, and I'm like, all right, God, what do you have to say right here? I'm waiting, I'm being still, I'm being silent. The second one really is, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to give me the peace to say now it's time to do it. So the first one is, I'm seeking truth. The second one is, I'm seeking God's timing. Because some of us, where we have royally jacked it up, ready, fire, aim. Some of us fire so quick, and he goes, I didn't give you permission to shoot yet. Watch, wait. You got truth? You got timing? Now walk. Paul's favorite metaphor is walk by faith. Not by sight. Walk means I'm taking action. So I'm calming truth. I'm sensing the Holy Spirit to give me peace. I'm waiting on the Lord. Now it's time to take action. Because action is always affiliated with trust. I've had people say, I've just been praying about this for years. For real. I'm glad you have. But I'm sure somewhere along the way, God says, would you please take action? Man, I'm praying about forgiving this person. Take action. He tells you to forgive them. Man, I'm praying about honoring God in this area, whether it's time, talents, or treasures. Take action. Remember, back to Saul, partial obedience he even told him in 1 Samuel 15. He said, do you not realize that's a divination, that's a witchcraft? When I don't trust God, he goes, I'm not partially into you obeying me. Well, I'm going to tip you, God, but I ain't tithing plus. Witchcraft! Give! Come on, man. Live a generous life. Are you serious? Yes. All right, so the three words there is I'm delighting, I'm dedicating, and man, I'm depending. Trust is an action word. It's risk. One of the passages I memorized years ago, I want to wrap it up. 2 Corinthians eleven three. I'm afraid just as the serpent tempted Eve with his craftiness, I'm afraid that your minds would be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Pivotal phrase for me. Sandra, pivotal right there. Anything, any, 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 anything that competes 
with a simple walk with Christ and a pure walk with Christ must be confronted and dealt with immediately. The reason a lot of us have had confusion and all kinds of chaos in our life is we got off the path of just staying simple and pure to the Lord. Anything that competes with simplicity and purity must be confronted and dealt with immediately. Okay? And I promise you, you will never, never, never regret living just a simple and pure life. I gravitate toward simplicity. I just want someone to sleep, something to eat. I'm good to go. Maybe clean socks, good underwear. Man, you've had that flannel shirt for 12 years. It's simple. I own it, and I don't have to go look for nothing else. But that shirt's outdated. Well, so is your attitude, but I'm going to wear my shirt. No, I want you to think about this in closing. All right, so you know I'm into acrostics if you've been in here with me a few times. Here would be my acrostic in closing for trust. How do I know I'm trusting the Lord, cultivating faithfulness and doing good? One, write it down. I take God at his word. God, your word is true. Your word is trustworthy. Your word is pure. Lord, I want to take you at your word. All right, so Numbers chapter 23, 19. I was pondering this verse this week. God is not like people who lie. He is not a human who changes his mind. Whatever he promises, he does. He speaks, and it's done. All right, so... If I'm trusting God, doing good, cultivating faithfulness, here's what I know. Jeff, here's what we're going to do, brother. We're going to take him at his word. God said it. I remember years ago, that's what this dude said in his little Baptist church down in Noonan. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. All these people started saying amen. And I'm like, no, God said it. Whether you believe it or not, it settles it. It sounded great. But your belief does not determine whether it's accurate or not. God said it, that settles it. As a result, I'm going to believe it. Get your ducks in a row. The R is rest in God's power. Rest, watch, wait, walk. Act on it when the Holy Spirit says go for it. But you don't have to trust your own power. You do not have omniscience. Neither do I. I don't know the past, the present, and future totally the way God does. He goes, just rest in what I'm doing you. This one is so huge. Understand that the outcome doesn't depend on me. Tim, it's not your gig. Again, quoting my brother Crawford from last week, when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. God's work, God's will, God, it's going to keep going on and on and on. Understand, the outcome is not up to me. 
I would write, I would say a prayer something like this. God, I believe your way is best, whatever it may be, I trust it. I promise you, you want to get like totally ghosted with the Lord? You don't have to stand up here and pray some five-minute prayer with these and thous. Just say, God, I believe your way is best, and I trust it. You, you want to start your prayer time tomorrow morning? God, I believe your way is best. I'm going to trust it. S, surrender daily. It's a daily, every hour, every minute style walk with the Lord. Lord, I surrender right now. I, I, my flesh is starting to compete. I know my flesh is getting riled up. Stop. Just surrender to the Lord. Lord, take the reins. Save me from me. Please save me from me again. Lord, I know what I'm capable of doing when I function in the flesh. The enemy's going to throw up old stuff in your past that you did. Just, just stop when he does that. Instead of rebuking him, get, get away from me. Just, just, just stop and say, Lord, thank you that you allow me to remember. You, you. I'm not empowering him, you. You allow me to remember at times what I'm capable of doing when I try to run my own life. Praise God I released ownership to you. And then you want to know the last T, honestly? Tell your story to other people. Revelation 12, 11. Ah, oh, the new living captures this one in a beautiful way. They overcame the enemy because of the blood of the lamb. And by telling what the Lord had done for them to others, they overcame the enemy. Man, through the blood of the lamb. And, and, and through their testimony and witness. When you start sharing your story of how God has broken down chains and how God has ushered you into freedom and you're able to share that with somebody else, oh, Satan starts to lose that grip. I invite you today to trust God. I'm not inviting you to try God. No. I'll try a slice of pizza. I'm not trying that. I invite you through the challenge of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, trust God, period. Repent. If you've been playing games, if there's no fruit in your life, it indicates there's probably no root in your life. The root of Christ will manifest with fruit, and it will lead to trust and obedience. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web. Or you could call us at the church, 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.